0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of the OoCast. It's lovely to be back with you again. We are going to review The Haunting of Villa Diodati. I realised I didn't know how to pronounce that word as I was saying the sentence. Was that
1: right? I think so. It's close enough. I've said it differently every time I've said it this week. So
2: We yeah. y- used to have a lodger whose name was Diodato Dattopetti. And he always used to tell us that his first name, Diodato, meant God's gift. So I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? Diodato
0: that's right, but this is Diodati. Which so... would
2: mean God's gifts, I don't know. Would it E denote a plural in Italian?
0: Maybe it means
1: uh, punishment, I don't know. Oh.
0: Dominus, domine, dominum, domini, domino, domino.
2: Dominoris, no, not that.
0: No. Dornorum would be. Oh. Yes, master. Oh.
2: How to conjugate Latin with the
0: cast. <laughs> <laughs> it means master, so it was actually a Doctor Who word. <laughs> one of the three that i know do you Um,
2: think we've maybe started a little bit too highbrow
0: i really don't think we're capable of starting too (laughs) highbrow and Uh,
1: later a heartfelt haiku i I don't think anyone's expecting us to sustain this level don't worry good point
0: (laughs) i mean sustain the level of not even introducing ourselves yet Uh, my name is chris mead and with me this week is my wonderful wife laura mead
2: hello i'm his wonderful wife
0: (laughs) and my wonderful friend Christopher Foston, Ne Alpha.
1: Yes, I married out of the Alpha
0: family. <laughs> Sorry, yes, yeah, I was just thinking, that is his name. And, Hello, yes, that's me. <laughs> I am not his wonderful wife. He was born Alpha, <laughs> but then he married. Um, great. Well, we're here. We're getting to the final straight a little bit, aren't we? This yes, is the, the last standalone the story. The
2: Strokes of the season.
0: We are going to review this wonderful episode, directed by Emma Sullivan, written by Maxine Alderton, Another. All female creative team. I think even the script editor was a woman. I think they're really. Uh, I mean, this is this the third one this season. I think so. Yep, doing very little to redress the balance of Doctor Who as a whole, but this season is doing very well in and of itself.
1: Exactly. I think if you start from this season, we're doing very well. Yeah, <laughs> we. have more have already co-opted this as mine as well. <laughs> I think we
0: can. Yeah, we're lay allowed. A claim to it. We're allowed. Yeah, we've. F- Free publicity for the programme, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. Doing this all off on our own back. Yeah. Well, an excellent episode. I thought, I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, But I'd love to go to Laura to see what she thought of it.
2: Can I say one of my favourite things first? Yeah, that's That's the the point. That's (laughs) what we do. (laughs) Okay, so I think probably one of my favourite things of the episode is how much Fletcher the butler hates all of his people who he works for. Mm. There's just the actor who plays him. Uh, what's his face?
0: Stefan Bednarczyk. <laughs> Bed- it's a lot of consonants together that shouldn't be together uh, as far as I'm means concerned.
2: means he's Polish. Hang on, let me have a look. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Laura's now going to use her amazing Polish.
2: Ah, Stefan Bednarczyk.
0: Oh, nice. Okay, that was impressive. Spelled Bednarczyk. Yeah. Is that where you...
2: There's a Z, Bed, a Y, and a K. Ick! That's I, th- I think that's a chick. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, um, because my previous family surname on my mother's side, a few generations back, was Prishlak, which was spelled P R Z Y, mm. extra consonants. So anyhow, what I love about him is he's got. Such a clear air of disdain, barely, barely even attempts to conceal his distaste slash disgust for what the upper class are getting up to. And yet he is so good at his job. He is the first person to react very proficiently to the skeletal hand attempting to strangle people by just smacking it straight on in one shot with the tray, crushing it into powder. But, and he does everything that he does so efficiently, including dying. Mm. You know, he plays the piano with a plum. He fails to notice a ghost standing on the other side of the door within like the first 30 seconds of the episode. Odd. Yes. Yeah, Did you not it, notice oh, that? I, know, well, I, I thought he was used to them. Oh, maybe. I thought, that, yeah, but. Hmm.
0: Now, it is interesting. I like the way the direction keeps throwing to Fletcher for an arced eyebrow or something. <laughs> mm. uh, he is all reaction shots. Also, he calls himself a, a valet. Is that really the way you pronounce that? Yes. Really? Yeah. It's not a valet. Oh, right. No. I don't... So valet. a valet is what you no, do to so a car. No, you take your
1: car, it's, it's valeting if you take it to be cleaned, right? Oh, well, I'm the not going to argue. Valet how you pronounce that, yeah. I oh, mean, I've, I've just I've heard it a lot in America. read and listened America. to an awful lot of Pidgey Woodhouse. Uh-huh. This is my vast <laughs> level of research.
2: No, that's good. But, yeah. That's good. We're keeping it at a level there. Yeah.
0: I mean, you think it's that. They said it that way in the programme. And if it was wrong in the programme, I'm sure someone on the cast or crew would have said, Isn't it Valet? Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sure At some true, point yeah.
0: in the process. And, and the they'd relationship- have done some ADR.
2: The relationship is very much a sort of a Wodehouseian thing, where you've got Stephen Fry as the butler. Um, G- oh, Jeeves, Jeeves. You mean, yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, I see. You Did you just forget the name of the most famous butler of all time, except maybe Alfred?
1: Uh, that's the other. Yeah, one. <laughs>
2: that's what I was going to say. Hmm? Oh, the most famous English butler. Oh wait, he Alfred's was a search
0: engine for a yeah, while.
2: Ask Jeeves, <laughs> gosh, that was back in the day, wasn't it?
0: And then it became Ask, and then it became nothing at all.
2: <laughs> oh. oh. You've got on one hand, you've got Worcester played by Hugh
0: Laurie, Hugh Laurie <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs>
3: who's
2: incredibly <laughs> foppish and silly. And then his long-suffering butler played by Stephen Fry, Jeeves, who is incredibly intelligent and shows every sign of exasperation at what his erstwhile master is doing. And there was very much a similar energy here, I thought. For
0: everyone who's just joining us, you're listening to the (laughs) Wodecast. Okay, it's Woodhouse, not Wode. House. Oh, <laughs> oh, that would have been a great joke. Oh. Okay, I can not still say it. Cover the everybody woodcast.
2: in blue paint and run around the wood, screaming.
0: The Woodcast. The
1: Wodecast. Oh well, Wode, Anglo-Saxon Wode is that stuff you paint on yourself. Yeah, an it is.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, everyone, we are talking over each other more than oh. we've ever done in our lives before.
2: Like Boudica.
0: Yeah. What? <laughs> Boudica. <laughs> Did she talk over her her subjects a lot?
2: Um. I know she ran over some of them in Ooh. her scythe ch- chariot.
0: This is hilarious, but completely unusable.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, no. No. Some of it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Laura, for that opening salvo, mostly about Woodhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Chris Foston, nate Alpha.
1: Hello. Um, I really loved the perception filter. I thought that was r- a really brilliant use of the house. To have them all trapped in different bits, but only in their head, Uh, was such a simple idea in some ways and so well done. And it was creepier than most things that have happened in Doctor Who for
0: a while, I think. Right, if you'd like to squeeze in, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you all about this room. It
2: looks exactly the same as the last one.
0: Appearances can be deceiving, madam. The last room was the bedchamber of Mary Shelley, Nay, Wollastoncraft. This was the bedchamber of Dr John Polidori.
2: Why did he also have a portrait of Percy by
1: Shelley by his bed?
0: They were very great friends, very fond of each other.
1: What's your game? This is clearly the same room.
0: No, it isn't.
1: There's a terrible scorch mark in exactly the same place in both rooms.
0: The servants weren't very good at lighting fires, sir. You'll see that in every one of the rooms I guide you through today.
1: And what's behind that
0: door? That's Lord Byron's room, sir. We'll go through that way in just a moment.
1: I'll go through now, thanks, chum. I want to check you're
0: not ripping us off. Ah, nice to see you again, sir.
2: What? But he went through that door. Yes. And then came in through the door we'd already come through.
0: Yes, I, I saw that. Well, what's going on? Oh, all right. Not that you'll understand, but what you're seeing is a perception filter.
2: What does that mean?
0: It means you're seeing what I want you to see, rather than where you really are. And where are we? The gift shop.
1: Oh, look, Henry, snow globes. This is outrageous. I demand to speak to the manager.
0: Fine by me. Code four. What is that? Can I help you?
2: Yes. How much is this snow globe?
1: The the idea that all of them could be being controlled at once is it was wonderful and really um, chilling to me. And a great I solution.
0: Yes. That when you're sleepwalking, then you can't see the perception filter, so you'll just walk through the door. Yes. Yeah, that was just really clever and lovely as well.
1: Yes, because until that point, you sort of suspect... Uh, polidori don't you Mm. it's sort of he's acting Mm. the weirdest of all of them and he's the one breaking through but then yeah as a solution that's a really clever way of revealing it
0: yeah yeah Yeah, i really love that too i think all the sci-fi elements of this episode were were great the idea that there was this malevolent alien intelligence that had essentially bunkered down in the house and was using all of this alien technology in order to keep people away from its host Mm. was just a very nice solution. It was an elegant solution. And when we found it out, everything beforehand made sense. The reanimated body parts, the shifting of the house, the fact that essentially Shelley was cloaked, I guess, and therefore seemed Mm. to be a ghost because no one could see him. I actually thought that first vase smashing against the wall was it wasn't like a glow a ghostly wobble it, it went with such fury against the wall it was really quite scary mm-hmm. in fact a lot of this episode lent in to the gothic horror which is appropriate
1: yes
2: yes the <laughs> castle of Otranto um I I agree I thought that I th- I thought that it answered some questions and obviously left quite a few others dangling.
0: Like the ghosts. Like
2: the ghosts. Is that
0: ever going to be answered? Which
2: was very creepy. Yes. That point where Graham comes face to face with them and just and then all the candles blow out. Yes. And they just stand there staring at him.
0: Oh! I mean, but they did give him a sandwich. They did give him a sandwich,
2: <laughs> which I loved. I don't think I've really seen people on Doctor Who eating ever. My, so my
1: biggest question up to then was: Did Graham get to go for his wee? But I imagine when he saw the
0: ghosts, maybe... Maybe he did, yeah. Was the sandwich also a ghost? Was it a sandwich that had died oh, too early? Oh. Maybe it had been laid out and then had slowly gone mouldy and then that was the ghost sandwich.
2: Um, he seemed to enjoy it. It all looked
1: quite crispy and fresh and delicious, like um, a sort of...
0: But sometimes ghosts revert to what they look like in life.
1: Oh. And, you know, you'd enjoy that sandwich in a perception filter. These yeah. are
2: not ordinary sandwiches. These are oh. ghost
1: sandwiches. There's a sketch we should have done.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, there were lots of questions that were left unanswered this week. So I, I, when you said that just now, the idea of a malevolent alien intelligence choosing to bunker down mm. and hide away from ostensibly the last of its kind and then make every effort to conceal and hide itself from being retaken. Siberium hiding from a Cyberman that's definitely got to be one of the reasons why I did not have a clue what the doctor was doing for most of the episode and found myself quite regularly going why Why mm. has she done that what's happening you know there's got to be something in that AI with an end game or at least I really hope there is otherwise the doctor suddenly just become a Wazuk. what do you mean Well, with that warning hanging over her head like a sword of Damocles, you know, that Jack has burned through hundreds of ships to come back and pop through time to tell her, do not give this creature what it wants. And she knows that millions of people are going to die as a result. And she still proceeds with that course of action.
0: But it's a dilemma, isn't it? Because if Mm. she doesn't, then Shelley dies and history changes. But later on,
2: later on, when she contains the Siberium, and the cyber man, Ashad, decides to pull his ship towards him. Is that really all that she can think of to do is to release it? I mean, she's never negotiated with terrorists before.
1: Um, I don't think that's true. Um, I think the the Siberian thing reminds me a lot of Remembrance of the Daleks, um, because you know I I, I got the impression the feeling that Ashad um, was sort of renegade, which is why the Siberian was hiding itself from her, uh, from him, and you know he he wasn't supposed to be able to access the Siberian. This race is dying; he shouldn't be able to bring it back. Wasn't
0: there actually yeah. an inference that someone had stolen the Siberian and sent it back in time in order to frustrate the f- Cybermen? I don't think the Siberian was mm. running itself.
2: Yeah, but who did but that?
1: We don't know
0: yet. Mm,
1: that's true. Probably I mean, the master. I assumed Ooh. that Siberian had sort of set up the protection round.
0: It had, but yeah. it, there was a there's an inference in the episode that someone else stole it from its rightful place okay. in time and sent it back.
1: But Shelley
2: says that he's not really in control of what's happening. But I do, I feel mm. like we should go down that a little bit because Ashad was by far and away the most frightening Cyberman that they've set up so far. That sort of half rotted, dangling bits of scraps of cloth. He was like half Cyberman, half zombie. And yes, definitely he's not supposed to have it because he doesn't have that neural inhibitor. He doesn't Mm. have that controlled destruction. He is all power and fury, which... And his chilling response to Mary Shelley's plea for him to stop, and the sort of the quick and unyielding ferocity with which he kills Celine—is it no Elise, Elise, the maid,
0: played by Sarah Pearls,
2: um, just or Perle? Maybe he is grim and unrelenting.
0: Good morning, team. Good morning, Chris Jibnall. Good
2: morning, Chris Jibnall. Okay,
0: question for you all. What is the best thing I've ever written?
2: Well, Um, it's probably... I'll
0: stop you there, because the answer is insultingly obvious. Cyberwoman.
2: I was just a little sick in my mouth.
0: Yes, Cyberwoman. My incredible episode in season one of Torchwood that many critics called the epitome of everything that is right with Torchwood and society in general.
1: I... I don't think that was quite the exact quote, Chris Chibnall.
0: Well, right, wrong. What's the difference, really? The point is, in that episode, I, Chris Chibnall, wrote about a woman who was partway through cyber conversion. But what, you ask, was my stroke of genius.
2: You made the woman really hot. I
0: made the woman really hot. And with my trademark skill and subtlety, I wrote that she was converted naughty bits first. So, essentially, she was wearing a revealing metal bikini. And
1: do you know why? Why, Christopher?
0: Because I know what geeks and nerds like. And what they like is Princess Leia, who was also famously in a metal bikini. No one caught what I was doing because of the aforementioned subtlety, but there you have it. My writing process laid bare.
2: (sighs) And we're going to do it again? Yes,
0: but with a twist. What twist? It's going to be a hot man partway through conversion this time with metal speedos and upgraded abs. People will love it.
2: I'm now 100% on board with this plan.
1: I love it too, of course. But can I suggest one thing, Chris Tibnall? Love, love the idea of it being partway through the conversion process. But how about they haven't removed his feelings yet? Mm. So then you have a Cyberman we haven't seen before. One that can get angry.
0: So no cyber jock strap, you're saying?
1: No, but just a hideous dead face
2: peering through a broken faceplate.
0: Well, maybe. I mean, that does seem scary, uh, now that you mention it. OK, we'll go with that for the moment, but we're making one of his arms into a weird vacuum cleaner tube because I say so, and I'm the showrunner. Stephen Moffat gave me this badge and everything. Sure thing, Chris Jibnall. Sure thing,
2: Chris Chibnall. Chris! Chib, no! Cybermen who don't have emotion, that doesn't scare me as much because you can see why they're doing it. But Mm. he is just doing it because he is a fanatic, because he is so cruel.
0: It's interesting. I had a completely different reading of the episode. I thought... Cybermen in the future were winning against the human race. So someone steals their main computer strategy system, sends it back in time, and then he's sent back in order to get it and ultimately win. That's what I thought was happening. Maybe I'm wrong. What do we think? What do you think was happening that Cybermen just like cheesed it because it didn't want to be a strategy computer anymore?
2: (laughs) Well, maybe it just didn't feel like Ashad was a Cyberman. And can I just say, Like He he volunteered for conversion, which is not something that happens.
0: And presumably he's just called Ashad to hide from everyone that he was going to be a Cyberman in this episode, right? Mm. So they could release the cast list. Probably. Because you were spoiled about the Cyberman, but I wasn't spoiled. And I thought, this is amazing. Having a Cyberman inspire Frankenstein is one of those perfect ideas that seems obvious in hindsight, but I didn't catch up to it in advance Mm. even though we were warned about a lone cyberman a lumbering essentially dead person uh it's so perfect and yet they pulled the rug out from under me Mm.
1: but i had say i was spoiled for the cyberman but actually not quite because i didn't know any detail i just saw there was a cyberman and that I mean, that annoyed me enough because I didn't want to know. But this wasn't even a Cyberman. This was a half Cyberman, I suppose, mm. um, which it was much more effective and, and frightening to me. That's that's a much more interesting take on um, Cybermen as a whole to have a kind of a, a, a resurgent leader that isn't entirely sub because he will know what he's doing. M- from more than just logic, which is quite frightening. It's sort of, okay, so he's actually, it's not dispassionate logic. This is, I am considering how this is going to, you know, what this will feel like. I know how this will play out in in people, Mm. but we'll do this anyway. Not just, we have this goal, this is in the way, let's move it.
0: I thought it was really interesting, the fake-out at the end, because you have Mary Shelley doing this impassioned speech to reach the human side of this Cyberman. And we've all seen that scene before, Mm. where we reach down inside the cold, merciless machine and find the last spark of humanity, and that saves the day. But what she finds down there is a human who's a fanatic, who's a psychotic. Mm. So if it was any other human, that might have worked. But because Mm. he kind of gave up his own offspring to become Cybermen themselves. He's not bothered. He didn't even bothered. give them up. He mm.
2: killed them himself. Oh, yeah, slit their when throats. When they resisted. Mm. Yeah. What? So grim.
0: So, yeah, so you're right. He's still human, but he's the worst the of worst us. The worst of humanity. Yeah. yeah, very clever.
1: I really liked that Lord Byron wasn't treated as a blanket hero mm-hmm. in this. Yes. And was treated much more... Like an awful person, which I think he may well have been in real life. <laughs> Byron, um, moron. <laughs>
2: I know, and the fa- and his, his cowardice and um, self-aggrandisement was very much on display mm. right from the start where he makes this big speech about, I shall go and welcome in the person at the door. But then it's mm. actually Mary Shelley who leads the way into the hallway towards the door and him hiding behind his paramour as soon as Dr... Bimbly bomb Polidori. Polidori. As soon as Dr. Polidori <laughs> enters the Played by the room.
0: Maxim Baldry. What a <laughs> name that is. <laughs> wow,
2: they should have just left it at that. Is Dr. Polidori a real person? Yes. It's got
0: to be. Yes. yeah. He stayed with them in the villa. They must oh. be real people. Otherwise, you would not write the name Claire Clairemont, would you? You'd be like, that's really pushing <laughs> that's <very> credibility. <laughs> <silly>. <laughs> Why
1: would you do such a thing? One of the more interesting things is that obviously later on in Byron's life... He gets involved in the Greek War of Independence. And that sort of feels, you know, when you read about his life, it feels a little bit out of character. It's not the same, it doesn't feel like the same Byron. And to an extent, this also might serve as a reason for that, which is interesting. I like that kind of extra angle, which is probably only entirely in my head, but I, I, I liked it.
2: Did not know that about him. Hmm.
1: Thank you, dear friends. I would like to entertain you, move you, with the debut of my latest work. I have spent the summer pouring my considerable heart and soul into this, and I dare to hope that it may one day be remembered as my magnum opus. Friends, I present to you The Dark Ballad of the Villa Diodati, a horror in three parts. When Mary told us her new story... We did not expect it to be gory, so we all got a shock and I spoiled my best frock when her monster appeared right before me. We did not know where to begin, for her creation seemed manufactured from tin. It bellowed delete, blew Claire off her feet, then spilt my expensive blue gin. I challenged the chap to a jewel, assuming he'd run out of fuel. When he melted my sword, I, drunk as a lord... Composed verse that named him a fool. Thank you, dear friends. Thank you.
0: There's a lovely theory about theatre and well, any kind of writing, I guess, that if you leave space in your story, then you leave space for the audience's intellect to rush into those bits that you've left slightly murky and be really clever like you do. I think if you over-explain things, you don't leave that space for the audience to make it their own, which yeah. I think is lovely. And I do think this was an incredibly well-written and well-directed episode. Uh, from just the craft of writing point of view, I would say maybe the best of the series, just in terms of mm. the themes, the way it was used, the beautiful sci-fi concept at its core that is, that just kind of feels so custom-fitted into the narrative. I really loved it. Yeah,
1: as a package, I think it all works perfectly together. Mm. Um, I'm sure if you look hard enough, you'll find stuff to pick apart. Of course. You know, know, it was beautiful to look at. It was well performed. It was really, I think, well put together script wise. And and, and the music works perfectly this time as well. And yeah, the involvement of that horror (laughs) sort of side of
0: it really helps give it a sheen. And I think Whittaker gets to play a different side to the Doctor. So just going very quickly back to what you were talking about, Loz, mm-hmm. about the fact that she doesn't maybe make the right decision, she passes it down the line. She's like, okay, mm-hmm. we'll fix this now. And then she, we see that Doctor arrogance of, and then I'll go and fix the mess I made in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely, we've seen the Tenth Doctor do that mm-hmm. a bunch. So that felt like a side of the Doctor we haven't seen in this unca- incarnation yet but very, very doctorish. Like, okay, I'll I'll save this person now. And I know that gives us a huge problem in the future. And I know that Jack has told me not to do this thing, but that kind of makes me want to do it more and still be successful later down the line. Mm. Um, hubris personified there for the doctor.
2: Very much so. and And she has that speech, which is completely along those lines with where she's spoken with great passion and fervor in the past about, oh, we've got a very flat management structure. Everything I do, Mm. I do with the help Mm. of my friends. And seeing Gallifrey burn has changed her. She no longer has that luxury of thinking that she can escape from the consequences of her actions, and it completely changes her attitude to teamwork. Sometimes this this management structure is mountainous and I'm in the stratosphere and there is no right choice, which is not something that we've ever heard from this doctor before and mm. was a very interesting character beat.
0: Yeah, I think so. And more than that, the way that she saves Shelley's life is by speeding his mind up to the moment where he dies. I mean, how <laughs> creepy and awful is that, that? He has to live the rest of his nut life knowing the moment of his death. Or just um,
1: avoiding ponds. It's not long, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did. There's just that slightly awkward conversation right at the end, where it's like, "Well, she's said, well, I I saved you," and it was like, "Yeah, well, I guess I'll be okay, knowing <laughs> living every moment with the inevitability of my <laughs> <Yes>. death." Bye. <laughs> Great. Well, we seem to have really liked that episode, and the finale looks like an absolute cracker. And this is. Uh, in the way that I think the Utopia was almost a stealth prequel to the two-part finale in that season, this feels like it is exactly the same and we're in for many spills and thrills a in sneak-quel. the weeks to come. A sneakquel. Yes, <laughs> a stealth like a prequel. prequel oh, yeah. a sneak-quel. Or a sneaky prequel. Sneakquel. Even better. <laughs> uh, but before we go on to our next section, it's time for just 17 syllables. <laughs> Of Doctor Who narrative. Pure
2: poetic delight.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, let's not
1: promise too much. You always say this before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> always deliver.
1: The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Cellar-based poet finds clever metal dollop. Lone Tin Man inspires.
0: Did you say dollop? I did. Oh, very nice.
2: Every poem could be improved by the addition of the word Dollop.
1: Now
0: I want pancakes. She walks as lonely as the dollop. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Now we come to the other exciting feature introduced this season. What's making us feel good?
3: Can we tell you what's making
2: us feel good? This week.
0: I'm going to go over to Laura Festival to see what's making her feel good.
2: So, what's making me feel good at the moment is a quite amusing and silly TV series about time travel and sci-fi that is not Doctor Who. No. Yes, that's correct. It's called Future Man. (laughs) And it's about a janitor who completes a video game and then finds that he has secretly completed a mission sent back through time to find the possible saviour of the human race.
0: Yes, it is the plot of The Last Starfighter, but that is acknowledged within the programme.
2: <laughs> yes, and all of its other connections, including Terminator and various other things, and Total Recall, they are all acknowledged with great aplomb. And it's really grotesque and incredibly crude is the word crude yeah. crude yes and very enjoyable
0: it's so funny
2: so yeah it stars um the bloke what played peter in the hunger games
0: i'm afraid i haven't written that down in my cast list <laughs> oh. um, um josh um, hutchinson josh i've reached that out of the no, air is I, that I it i think
2: i don't know i think he was in the 90s okay let me, let me just look him up Um, Yes, Josh Hutcherson. Yes! (laughs) Well done, you're so clever. But the supporting cast is hysterical. So I do advise if you want to be slightly squicked out, but also have a good old laugh, go and watch Future Man.
1: So my good thing this time is a film um, that I introduced our small person to called um, Farmageddon. It's the second Shaun the Sheep movie. And um, I've been a fan of Ardman for a very long time since Wallace and Gromit started, I think, if not slightly before that with Creature Comforts. Um, but this is sort of a, a slightly new level for me. This, this was consistently funny. It's a film about um, an alien that crash lands near Sean the Sheep's farm and um, finds its way to the farm and essentially the plot is Sean has to try and get this alien back to its own planet before the secret agents who are chasing it captures them. That's but there are loads and loads of cipher references. Within the first two minutes, there's a supermarket called Millieways <laughs> and there's a garage called HG Wheels. Oh um, and there are specific Doctor Who references that made me very, very happy that I think they try and um Sean dresses up as a Dalek using baskets <laughs> and colanders and plungers and stuff Amazing. in order to get into the Farmageddon theme park that the farmers made. And when they get in there, there's a portaloo, a blue portaloo, and the Fourth Doctor walks out, sees Sean, screams, goes back in the loo. I love it. So you know, small things like that make me very happy. And this film, genuinely, it's probably it's about an hour and twenty, I think, long. It's not long, but it's great. It's really good fun. Um, yes, and good sci-fi geek. Um, stuff to
0: satisfy people.
2: Did the force doctor die as a result of the Daleks? Then
0: no, no, he fell off something. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, he fell off a, a big old Aerial
0: nylon telescope thing. thing. Yeah. Telescope. Mm. Yeah, it was a radio telescope. Um, so my thing is a Twitter account, uh, Andrew Ellard, who is mm. the script editor, or was the script editor of Red Dwarf, and his handle is at Ella Dent, E-L-L-A-R-D-E-N-T. And what he does every week with Doctor Who is something called Tweet Notes, where he breaks down the story with the eye of a script writer. And he is a really exceptional script writer. These long threads that he does every week are so wonderful and so full of this incredible um, intellect and, and a sense of story that I am I'm in awe ...of his sense of story. It's so brilliant. Um, I really, really try not to read the thread... ...for any week before we come in... ...to do our review... ...because I find that I just want to say... ...all of his points if I do. (laughs) So I sort of keep it as a treat for afterwards. Um, It's incredible. If you go on his uh, Twitter account... ...you will see that all of the tweet notes... ...he's ever done... ...are um, available on his Medium page. So go and have a look. Read through your favourite Doctor Who episodes... It's brilliant. It's really great. And even when he's critical, he looks for the positives, which is something that I think we all aspire to. So there we go. Ella Dent, I'd second that. Mm -hmm. I read that. They're amazing. Nice.
3: Can we tell you
2: what's making us feel good? This week.
0: So thank you so much. We are going to do just one more episode uh, where we're going to cover both of the final episodes. But it will be a bumper episode, I hope, with a lot of content and a lot of laughs and tears. Just quickly before we go, this finale is promising things are going to change, like properly change. Do we really think things are probably going to change?
2: Oh, I never know. I hope it's for the better. I don't know.
0: Well, fingers crossed, I guess. I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> who who knows with this? This is the kind of <laughs> it's insightful <excessive> commentary. <laughs> I, I
1: saw the I saw the stuff about the future of the fugitive of the Jadun, and I thought, yeah, whatever. And that blew my mind slightly. So yeah, you know. I don't want to be anything other than cynical about this because I won't be surprised. If I I'm still not.
2: think maybe the Doctor's not really a Time Lord and it, she is the Time Child of Time, and there's all sorts of weird shenanigans going to happen. So yes, maybe yes.
0: That would be a big change. The Doctor's not, not a time actually lord. <laughs> a Time Lord. <laughs> okay, everyone. Uh, see you next time to discuss all of that.
3: Unfinished Cyberman outside on a quest through time looking for the He hovers above the lake looking like a pale ghost. Drive That's inside, powered by a bolt of lightning And the walls change, and they change, and they change, and they change But the room stays the same, oh the room stays the same And a million people die in the blinking of an eye you can't change The times, no, 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 no To make and the path is still unclear now. On a mountain top up in the stratosphere now. And the walls change and they change and they change and they change. But the room stays the same. All oh, the room stays the same And a million people die In the blinking of an eye You can't change the times No, 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 no Cause it's so scandal and Oh Trying to keep all safe Trying to keep your friends alive Dance around the past Dance around the lost As the corridors and windows seal you inside, and the walls change and they change and they change and they change, but the room stays the same. Oh, the room stays the same, and a million people die in the blaze the times no no, no 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 it's just metal and violence History and silence it's just metal and violence History and silence it's just metal and violence History and silence is just metal and violence History inside, silence is just about the